What's up, baby? Hey, how's it going, Robbie boy? It's <laughs> going all right. How are you doing, Jordan? I'm doing pretty well. That's good. Are you using headphones? Ooh, what's that, Bev? Shit, what? I heard a tasty oh, Bev uh, open. That was that was the beer. Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> because I uh Sorry, I choked on my own spit there for a second. No, that was that was a beer because it's the end of the fucking world to a certain extent. It certainly seems that way. Absolutely. Uh, what is what is this app, dude? This app's really nice because if you want good, um, if you want good audio quality, you need to record locally on both ends. Uh huh. You know, you can just like record a Skype call because you get like shitty voice quality yeah um so what this does is it's basically recording both of our ends locally but with like the same timestamp. oh very chill yeah so so this will sound better this will sound better either to both of us than it will on either side of it correct um so yeah at the end of this i'll be able to download both of our files um and then throw them Oh. Into any kind of audio editor, and they'll already be synced up and everything. Very cool. Yeah, uh, I'm getting some. Let me let me close some tabs here, just in case they're cutting into my bandwidth. Yeah. Uh, because my internet is good generally, uh, but uh, I don't know. It's it a cold night, and it's better, ending. You know? It could always be fucking better. So what have you been up to, man? Dude, okay, so I've been up to a few things. So I, uh, so it's fucking quarantine, obviously. Uh, we're talking, I guess, are we talking about that or are we talking about just the general shit? Dude, we're talking about anything. Great, so. We're playing it fast and loose. All right, very good. So it's, it's a quarantine. I am, I've got a few projects going. Um, Jordan, I don't know if we're friends on Instagram, but, uh, I've been working I on I deleted this- my Instagram. Perfect. Okay. So I've been working on this project that you have not seen where I have died at this point about, oh, I want to say, oh, I don't know, like a, like 300 ish, maybe four or 500 uh, record sleeves. I've dyed them red. Okay. Um, so we're talking not the, not the like jackets, but just the record sleeves themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so my museum that I work at was doing a project where we're rehousing uh, all of like about 1,578 RPMs into um, into archival housing because at one point this collection was the foremost collection of early xylophone recordings in the country. Um, I am waiting back on a report from an archivist to see if that is still the case. It may or may not right. be, but this, the point is we got money. Uh, and so we're rehousing all these. So I got all of these like very fibrous, cool looking record sleeves, um, which I think in the mid seventies, we're probably archival quality. I don't yeah. actually have a good case for rehousing them other than current museum standards. So right. Right. I had all these record sleeves that were either going to get thrown away or not. And then, uh, a, a space that you've been in, which is square cat records. Um, after you visited 
uh, this little 20 year old dumbass came in and asked to paint the wall. Okay. And they let him do it. Uh, now the problem is like mural paint the wall or yeah, just like, like mural okay. paint it. And it's, it was not good. Uh, it's, Basically, like I, you know, I'm a fan of like outsider art. I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of pretty much like anything as long as it's done with what seems like good intentions. Uh, and this, I, I could not stand. So there is like one of those. Wait, like, it, are you saying that it seems like it was done with bad intentions? I'm saying it was done with like active laziness. Uh, okay, that's <laughs> but, different than like not having good intentions. Yeah, I mean, I guess to a certain extent, I think I think it's. I want to see some art with bad intent. <laughs> I mean, this could qualify. I mean, I feel like if you're making public art, if you're lazy, that's a bad intention. Uh, like, if you're not going to take the time to make it something I want to look at more than once, then like, fuck yeah. you. Like, <laughs> there's, there's something about it. So, in any case, uh, the, the thing that is the most abhorrent um, aspect to like the thing that is the most like offensive to me is this thing they did the like he this little kid tried to do this uh like the the pink floyd thing where it's like what? like the the dark side of the moon thing the prism mm -hmm. okay so he made like he tried to make a vinyl record as a sunset and then the prism and the the offshoots and the prism and the offshoots are kind of okay but this dumbass didn't think to use like uh like a thumbtack and thread to make a circle, and so it's a shitty circle. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's fucked up. Mm. And so <laughs> it's like sitting there, I was just like, this is this is inexcusable. Like if you're gonna yeah. draw a circle, there are there are there's things, a lot of ways to do it. There's circle. a lot of ways to do it, and especially if people are gonna keep seeing it. Yeah, especially if people are gonna keep seeing it. It is right. Like it, it was inexcusable. Um, so yeah, my my my. I mean, vision, it could be excused by the fact that he's twenty. I mean, I guess. I mean, it could be excused on a personal level for sure. Uh, yeah. But but on a on a societal level, I want to see. I want this wall that I see very often to be something I want to look at. So yeah. so what I'm working on is I have these. I don't know. I think. I mean, I think I said two to three hundred. I think it's a, maybe more than that. I covered my entire yard in them the other day. Wow. Um, and so I've been dyeing them with fabric dye. And so it's going to be an insulation that is just like the wall will be covered in record sleeves that are dyed red. And then it will have like this pretty starkly blue backdrop. So the, the blue will come through all the like holes in the record sleeves. Um. And is the red coming out super consistent or because of the different age and stuff is it it's like uh red? yeah so it's actually it, it is it's tinted uh, it's more tinted by so my my hunch is that this collection has been rehoused before my my guess is that it was in the mid to late 80s um and so the record sleeves are fairly consistent there are a few outliers like there are some just like wild fucking record sleeves that somebody bought in like a small batch right. a couple times but the vast majority of the collection is in identical record sleeves they're in this brown fibrous um record sleeve which which was called at one point record velope uh which makes me think it was mid 80s at best that's also very lazy 
Exactly. I agree. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, yeah, they're, they, they've taken the die about the same. I think the main part is the main part I've been dealing with is so to get fabric dye to take to paper, you have to keep it hot. Um, and before I started working on this project, all the Goodwills closed. So I could not just buy like a dummy cauldron, mm-hmm. uh, to use. So I've been like gradually adding hot water to the, like every batch I've done, like I've done a batch of a couple hundred each time mm-hmm. and every batch I've done at the beginning of the process, I will add like a, a teapot full of boiling water to raise the temperature of the, of the bucket. Right. And which works really well, but at the same time dilutes the dye to a certain extent. So, um, there is a sort of gradient that I think is way more defined by the dilution of the dye than, uh, the than the actual like paper itself gotcha well i think um, that'll add some interest to the to the yeah. way it turns out oh, I, like I, a little bit of inconsistency is going to be a good thing i think so too i mean i'm actually like after, after seeing these like dudes dry in the sun like i'm pretty excited about like what it's going to look like in a public space i think you have it'll, a name for it i don't actually um like I, I've been, uh, I, I was thinking about maybe having a title at some point. I haven't really belabored over that part as much. I just think that is like, it just going up over the mural that you don't like, it's a big wall in a public space and, but you're putting it over the I, mural or is it? Oh yeah. No, the mural is dying. So I'm painting a base coat of blue over the mural. Um, you should title the piece behind this is a mural that I hate. <laughs> i love that idea so much actually <laughs> that actually would be very good uh and now I, we're getting I into think... art with ill intent uh-huh yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> full circle um yeah. my ill intent at that point would be personal <laughs> right <laughs> which is the best kind of ill intent mm-hmm Oh yeah, um, I yeah no that that cracks me up. I, you know what? I'm gonna do that. I'll just put it on like a like I'll just put a tiny title plate like very yeah. small in the corner. Behind this is shitty mural. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that will play Indianapolis well. has a public. Um, I'm also art, very encouraged. Uh, so I'm I'm very encouraged to do this because the owners of that record shop will give me sort of like contact free access to the space while this shutdown is happening. And so I can do this whole thing without any of the staff having uh, input over it other than the owners. Right. Um, Which normally I wouldn't exploit because I like the staff, but I also really like this idea of like, like, you know, the wall has been drawn upon by a lot of people, uh, but that doesn't fix the fact that they let this little shitty kid do like this big mural that sucks so like yeah there are details that i actually like that will get sacrificed to the gods of consistency i guess sure that's Uh, how it has to be sometimes (laughs) exactly (laughs) Um, dude i just had i was just editing a video that i made and i had to kill um possibly my favorite part because it didn't fit with the rest of it oh that is Okay, that that is something that like we could talk about for hours. 
So that happens to me when I'm writing classical music a lot. So, so I'll be writing a piece and inevitably during the drafting process, I will come up with an idea that is really unrelated to everything else. Mm-hmm. And, but it's such a good idea. So like I have, I have like, at this point I've built up defense mechanisms. So like, I will like literally chop that part and put it into a new document and then leave it. Yep. Um, which is good. Uh, but also doesn't like, it doesn't help you on the moment. <laughs> Dude, for me, it comes at the weirdest part of the creative process. Hit me. It's almost always the first thing that I do. So is the thing that doesn't belong? Video. Well, I was working on the video for the uh, backpacking trip I did last summer. And I had this super cool idea and I had it like while I was still on trail and I was like, I'm going to do a cool stop motion sequence for the beginning of the video. And it's going to set the tone for the whole thing. Right. And what I did is I um, went to my dad's shop. So there's a lot of floor space. I went on a weekend. So there, all the cars were pulled out. And I laid out all the maps. Um, we had maps on um, just normal like 8 by 11 printer paper. Yeah. And I laid them all out and I organized them to where like the route actually like flowed through. So it was like this big hodgepodge on the floor. Yeah. And then I got um, Sour Patch Kids, which are one of my favorite trail snacks. And I That's did like wild. a stop motion of Sour Patch Kids, like outlining the route, like walking down the trail kind of. Yeah, yeah. And it took for fucking ever. I'd never made a stop motion thing before. So like I knew what it how to do it in theory, but I hadn't actually done it before. Mm-hmm. And then editing it took forever too. It took me forever to put it together. I like found music that I really liked that fit with it. An old deer hoof song. Nice. And I did like a voiceover describing the route. And I was like, <laughs> cool. this is like the creative direction for the whole video. Like it's the opening and I set the tone for the video with it. Mm-hmm. And then I went on and I finished the video it took me a long time it was over the course of a few months and i went back and watched it and i was like this stop motion scene does not fit with the rest of the video it's so distracting (laughs) yeah did you find that it that it set expectations that were not capitalized upon no it just felt like it was from a different video okay no that's fair that that is also fair i like i find that a lot i i i uh when I'm working on a project, like a lot of times there's, there's this like bifurcation between like the work begetting progress in itself mm-hmm. and then trying to be disciplined about like whether or not that progress is sort of on this meta level or related to the project itself. So for me, like, yeah, I'll be like working on an idea, like a, like a, like a piece for like an ensemble or a soloist. And then like halfway through the project, like whatever I'm working on will lead to this other thing, which I like eventually have to come to terms with the fact that it's unfucking related, but at the moment will seem like, yes, of course, like this goes in here. And like, it seems very good. (laughs) Like, of course, this is going to be, and then eventually you have to go back and just be like, okay, this actually, what, what's happening is you're reacting to your process, not so much what the, what the piece demands, um, yeah. which, which seems pretty related to like what you were talking about. 
Yeah, and part of it for me, I think, is I just have a lot of aesthetic interests. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I can get distracted by, like, oh, this is going to be, like, this Tom Sachs piece that I love, but, like, in video form. And I get so obsessed with that. And I might even do it successfully, but I'm like, oh, the rest of the project that I'm working on doesn't have that feel. Right. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. And so, like, even, like, the stop motion thing, like, (laughs) I love how it turned out. It just didn't fit with the video. It's Mm -hmm. not that quality was bad or anything. It just felt different. Right. Yeah. And that's, in in some ways, those are the hardest decisions to make. Yeah, is when you have something that's like you have a, a piece of a project that is up to your standard in certain ways, but like doesn't fucking belong. Right. Yeah. It's it's really strange. Like it's a really strange thing. It's almost. I mean, yeah. It's it's like I don't like. It's like excising benign tumors in an in an artistic way. It's like, well, this thing is not mean. Or evil, or gonna kill something, but like, the the project will be better without it. Right, and for me, it's really hard to walk the line. And I know it's got to be similar for you because your music's so experimental in nature. Um, but for like the video stuff I've gotten into, I really love stuff like David Lynch, where there can be scenes that don't seem to like further a plot along or like yeah. help tell the story, but they're important aesthetically. To right. like set a tone so it's hard to kind of walk that line where the standard isn't necessarily like oh this doesn't further the like the story i'm trying to tell it's more just like does it feel even if it's kind of dreamlike in a way like does, does it feel like this project would dream that mm-hmm. yeah i you know i run across similar things especially being like uh sometimes even prematurely labeled as an avant-garde artist in certain respects. So for me, um, yeah, there are certain parts where like, you know, like I am speaking from like a bigger language that, that, that comes, that is continent, like to me, very continuous from piece to piece. And some of the best moments I've had with teachers have been teachers who have told me that it's like, hey, like, this moment doesn't actually quite make sense. Like, even though to me, like, if you just listen to all my music in a fucking stream, this moment would make right. total sense. Um, and and so I have developed a skill for learning, like, um, short-term versus long-term what makes sense as far as pieces go short-term i mean in this case like right that makes short-term being like the six minutes that someone may spend listening to my piece versus the what the long form would be like if someone actually knew everything i had put out like there is this like nuance there that like in some ways you know artists in general like me or or an author or anything else like we don't get to enjoy that unless we're already established to a certain extent. Right. We don't get to, even though you or I like, you know, we have like very established, I would say on both our ends, sophisticated senses of humor, for example. I wouldn't go that far, but okay. Fair enough. But, uh, (laughs) but like, like, or maybe there's with horseshoes theory where like my, 
is my humor so sophisticated that I just love fucking Looney Tunes again? <laughs> I mean, fair. I mean, my 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 point being that like uh, that in our own in our own minds or in my own mind, like there there's room for all these in jokes that like in my right. own perspective are very well established. But there is this certain like there's this line you have to toe where like it's I mean, I guess it's very akin to that less that that thing that teachers would tell you where where papers have like essays have to be self-contained. Right. In a certain sense, artistic products also have to be self-contained, especially if you're presenting them as media on the Internet. Right. Um, and that might be why we're not great at critiquing each other's work necessarily. Like I'm too familiar with you as a artist, especially your music. We've, yeah. I mean, yeah. we've known each other since middle school and I've seen all that evolution. Yeah. So when I like, like when I saw you this winter performing live and that was the first time I'd seen you in a while, mm-hmm. it all made sense as a narrative of like, Oh yeah. Rob started fucking around with, I remember the first time you cut up a propane tank to make a drum out of it. Right. Um, but not everyone in that room had that context or even close to it. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's, yeah, no, that's, that's very accurate. And also like, yeah. So you probably saw that from a different perspective than most of the people in that room saw it. I think at this point, as far as live performance goes, I mean, the one thing that I've been able to capitalize on, at least in Indianapolis, is that the fact that, like, even though to me, everything I'm doing is very cohesive and maybe if not linear, at least, like, pretty trackable in terms of progress goes, um, I, like, my reputation is that, like, when people go to, like, when I, when an audience comes to me, they're going to see something they've never seen before. Um, right. Which is both a pain in the ass and also like, it's a cool position to be in from a, from a large extent, but also just like, yeah, like, it's like, I mean, I do sometimes play the same, I mean, not, not exactly note for note, the same set over and over, but like, I will do the same things. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, there's got to be a lot of pressure for you because you're like inventing your own instruments pretty often. Yeah. And if you feel like you need to march something new out all the time and like, I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, no, it's, it definitely, it definitely puts a different layer of, uh, of Oness on me that I, that I feel, uh, that maybe the audience doesn't. Um, I also feel like for the kind of music I make, the audience, like the average audience doesn't necessarily have a good, like detailed memory, if that makes sense. Right. Um, so where like, like I could play two pretty similar sets and people not, might not even interpret them as coming from the same like material, if that makes sense. Like where, right. We're like, I mean, a lot of the ways that pieces work, especially live perform pieces, like, um, maybe this is a little historical because like, I, I mean, up until like, up until this shutdown, I was doing this thing where, I refused to pick instruments or structure until I was on stage, which is terrifying. Also, it leads to some interesting exploration, but uh, 
but I think even when I was doing, even when I like sort of had like set, like set lists, for example, like Mm -hmm. it was still, I think the ideas were, or like the data that I feel is important was not as important to the listeners. And so could, is still like fungible to a certain extent where, where I'm sitting there thinking like, you know, in, in the worst case scenario, like I'm sitting there thinking like, Oh, I just like, aped my own shit like if someone was here two days ago they would have they would know that i'm doing the same shit again but even actually really the reality is that like if people were there on two nights they would not notice the fact that i was operating from the same ideas because the output ends up being so different depending on the momentary choices i'm making yeah, I put so much pressure on myself to like <laughs> mask my influences. Mm-hmm. Where, like, in my design work or something, I might be like, "Oh man, this would be cool," but um, Quentin Tarantino used this exact shade of yellow with mm-hmm. this font pairing in the title sequence for Jackie Brown, right? And when I look at it, I'm just like, oh, everyone's going to know. Everyone's going to see that. And they're going to immediately be like, oh, this guy just ripped off the Jackie Brown <laughs> intro. But I'm just like, I'm using it in a, a iOS app in a totally different context, along with like 10 other design decisions. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, dude, nobody's going to notice that. That's what having influences is. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I have to remind myself, and, and I can go so far with it, like, like to put it in the music terms, like what you use, I could put pressure on myself to be like, man, I use drums in this song and um, the Rolling Stones also use drums. So I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> no, you know what? I think about that a lot. Like I really, um, so there's there's a couple of things I'm, I'm working on that, that have not like made the air, like, fuck made the airwaves seem so goddamn pretentious and not real. But like there are certain things that that haven't been made public yet where like I'm working on, for example, I mean like, for example, I'm working on this record right now that is just like sort of, I mean, basically like, basically like me trying to make a fortet record. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and so this goes two ways. Like one, the fact that I just said, I'm trying to make a fortet record maybe it seems like I'm interested in being derivative, but the, I, but at this point I've been making music so long that I know that I am a bad Xerox machine. Like no matter what I do, like it will come out as sounding like me not like someone else. Like, yeah, that's the, I had that huge revelation dude. When I saw some stuff that I just for fun on my own computer tried to ape like completely. Uh huh. Or like I did some I did some illustrations that were um, like trying to ape another illustrator. I'm like, oh, I wonder if I can draw like that. And it was R. Crumb. It was like the most well known illustrator. Right, right. And it turned out totally different. Like, right. It's still just my thing. Like, if I tried as hard as I could just to copy his style completely, no one else besides me is gonna be like um, see that as an ape. Exactly. Yeah. Like once you get far enough into the creative process, like 
ironically, I mean, maybe ironic or maybe something else, like your own voice becomes undeniable in your process. But um, I feel like it's kind of like, um, I'm trying to think of an example, like, this is stupid, but I thought about how, like, you don't actually know how, what anything smells like, you're because you're always smelling that thing plus the inside of your own nose. <laughs> it's very good, yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of like that with the creative process because you don't see like your own influence over something or it's harder to see it because you're too close to it and everything you do has that in, that lens on it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it becomes... <sighs> yeah, it becomes harder to, to, to like to parse what is coming from influences and what is coming from your own voice. Because at a certain point, like at a certain point, like, like, uh, are like creative instincts sort of, I don't want to say calcify, but like creative instincts solidify and you decide one way or another what you're interested in. And, right. and so like, and so I, I run into this a lot, like as a musician where, you know, I mean, <laughs> pre-quarantine, I used to go see jazz a lot. Um, right. And so we would have long discussions about like uh, with with a couple of like jazz nerds that I know. Like we, we'd have long, like long, like somebody would play like a 32 bar solo and then like the break would come and I would go like pick their brain about it for like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And and but at the same time like i i also thoroughly know that like for me as a composer like a lot of times like harmonies and things are like the least of what i'm interested in which is right. you know which is which is fascinating I, I mean i think the same thing can be translated to any sort of field uh for me it's that like you know even though like my label might be composer or performer or whatever like what I'm interested interested in is not really like is kind of uninteresting from like the traditional like music theory standpoint. Um, right. But it is like what I am interested in is like is this effective? Like is this like coming through? Like are ideas like like eventually what I want to be able to do is like basically like and I I'm getting I feel like in a certain sense I'm getting close but like. I like to build a self-referential language, like ad hoc. Um, okay. Which, which I think is is difficult, but it also like it's it's not undoable. But it, but it also like if you look at like if I look at it in like like traditional music theory standpoint, it's like there's nothing there. Like like in terms of just like what I'm thinking about in terms of harmonies or things like that. It's like, I, I really like rightly to a certain extent, don't give a shit. Um, what I am interested in is that like, okay, like I can go from nothing. You're going to hear the first five minutes of my music. And then if in 20 minutes in, you hear me doing a thing that references the first five minutes, then I've done my job to a certain extent. Right. Um, which which is not anything that is talked about in traditional music training, but it is, I still do feel and believe that it's music. Um, and I feel like maybe that speaks to some, some of what you're doing with design where like if you are like, 
a you see like a, a font color combination that you're going to use for an app like maybe like you're going to use that in a certain sense but also like I mean, there is a trick in design to like making it feel familiar, even if it isn't. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm totally off base here. What do you think about that? No, I I think that makes sense. I mean, what you said about building a self referential language is, at least in my design process, probably the most important part. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just I believe consistency creates a certain amount of. Um, quality and also familiarity and that's yes. what a lot of people are actually looking for in design is a sense of familiarity um like even if something behaves really strangely in design mm-hmm. um, if it consistently behaves that way then it it can be successful right um and but if it's if it works great, like in an intuitive way, 50% of the time, and it works in a non-intuitive way, the other 50% of the time, that's actually worse than it just working shitty, but a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> that might be like a clunky no, way to explain that's, that. That's very, I feel like that's very accurate. And, and I think aesthetically that works too. Like if, um, like if you perfectly kern all your letters, um, but there's certain combinations that you're too lazy to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not going to look good. Right. But if you perfectly kern all your letters and then every time there's two vowels in a row, you slam them right up against each other and let the, let them touch. Yeah. That you just created a style. That's you just like, yeah. created a visual language. That's fucking. And it good. might not even make any sense, but if you're consistent with it, like you, you did something. Right. Yeah. And that's not the only thing. Like you would have to relate that back to like why, you know, you'd have to have a reason for doing that that makes sense with the story you're trying to tell with your design. Mm-hmm. Um, which the whole like storytelling and design, I feel like, has gotten overused a lot. But ultimately, it it is a good metaphor for because um, you're you are trying to create language and familiarity with people, and that's right. Storytelling is a part of that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, f- I feel like that's pretty salient regardless of what you're doing. I, I You know, the, like, design for me, like, I don't know. I, I started to, I, I like, what I, what I see, like, w- which I think is very transparent once you get an eye for this, like, the things that make me mad are not actually, like, design choices. But, like, the sort of illusion of design choices. So, like, when I see that someone has, like, sort of, like, you know, sloppily modified a WordPress theme, for example, to where, like, the font colors, like, the theme they chose is very good natively, but then they they started adding what they, they like and i get it like when you're working on a project like all this nuance makes so much internal sense but the like when i start seeing things like 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 subtle font choices or like they're coloring things differently where it's like like in my mind like if well, you're me, going to oh yeah please well i think part of this goes back to like one of the first things we talked about on this call, which is mm-hmm. um, 
like my uh, stop motion scene that I didn't feel like fit with the movie I made. Yeah. And I feel like that type of media is less abstract to talk about than, than visual design. But you can think of something like um, Wes Anderson, and he really creates a, a world for his movies. Yes. And he creates these, like, it's not like full on mystical, but it's like a mystical realism, you know? Yeah. It's clearly like not taking place in the actual universe we live in because things are a little more cutesy and like their knickknacks are all kind of like perfect for that world and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. The eccentricities that characters have. And if you went into one of his characters' kitchens and they cut corners on the set design and it was just the kitchen of the Airbnb they're staying in. it would just ruin the movie. Like it would stick out like this sore thumb because it, it breaks the visual. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Or like if a character was just wearing yeah, normal no, that clothes, makes... like a, like a modern outfit, nothing special, but not, not that like thrift store set design that he's come up with. Right. Like that's that the same rules apply for, for design, at least for, the way I view it. Yeah. Um, and that's the problem with like a lot of sloppy decision-making where it's just, if you, if you round the corners on every rectangle slightly, and then you just have one or two random things that have 90 degree corners. It's not that 90 degree corners are a bad design decision. It's just that they either all need to be that way or none of them should be. Right. Or it should be a consistent part of the language where there are perfect 90 degree corners under this scenario. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I, I, yeah, like I think like the things that, that strike me as the most offensive when I'm looking at things like websites, for example, like I, get really pissed very quickly about like um one font hierarchies and two font colors so if someone is Mm -hmm. changing the color of their fonts it it has to be intentional enough to not fuck with my eyes um so so right now we're redesigning the website for my museum Mm-hmm. And the original website design was garbage. And they have this thing where they're doing like sort of like dark gray against black. And oh. yeah, but it sucks. Like it is a garishly bad example. Um, yeah. I mean, and something like that can even work it, um, for the right application. But if you have like body text where the goal is for someone to read two paragraphs worth of text in a row, it's going to fall fail every time. Exactly. Right. So yeah, like I've been working with, um, so I am not in charge of designing the site, but I am in charge of, or like I am one of the people who's like, you know, proofing the the pages and, and giving feedback. And a lot of the feedback has, has basically just been this visual stuff where it's like, Hey, like we do not need a color hierarchy. Like this page just needs to deliver information and like text headers are good, but like this, this, this thing being a slightly darker or a slightly lighter black does not help me read it. Like it actually makes it harder. Um, right. Things like that where um, 
and and the the team I'm working with is not a native web development team, so it's it's also like I'm also like towing this line where part of me. I mean, I guess before I was working from home, I was I was very excited to like keep them all in the dark about the fact that I don't know like or that I know anything about any of this stuff. Sure. Uh, but now, because I'm working from home, like I'm trying to be as useful as possible, um, and and so a lot of these things are coming into discussion. That like I'm finding that even some of the team that's like involved in designing this stuff like hasn't really dealt with in a in a real way. So like yeah, there are a lot of times where I'm like where I will get a, I will get a web page sent for proofing. And then I will, I'll say like, Oh, like, like for one really easy example is that like one time I was looking at a page and I was like, well, beneath the first picture, there's a line break and beneath the second picture, there's not. And text just starts immediately. Um, and, and so they, they hit me back and like, well, we weren't really looking for that feedback we were looking for co- feedback on the content and I was like, well, actually like, actually rightly, I don't give a shit what the, co- like, I didn't say this obviously in, in right. like <laughs> as bluntly, but I was just like, I literally don't give a shit about the content until it's readable. Like <laughs> if you're going to give me a web page to proof, the first proof is like, is this usable? Um, I mean, one thing I used to do on projects like that with, junior designers I was working with and I think this drove people crazy when I first started working with them but as their project rolled on they they learned to love it yeah which was like okay if this page is um just text like we're gonna do the about page for this your museum's website Mm -hmm. we're gonna do times new roman left aligned and um you know 16 point or something that's easy to read and we're going to put that on the page and then anything we change about that has to have a reason for right because what we did is we created a perfectly legible page right what's better than times new roman with a good margin and good font <laughs> size that's very you know oh yeah so if you want to make that text dark gray instead of black on a white background how does that make it easier to read right you know so that decision's out <laughs> so we have a font that's the brand font um well it better be equally legible as times for us to switch to it right which you know often it is but don't change it just because you think you should right and we did this, like, I worked on a project with that was very map-centric, and it was like, everything we add to this map is a distraction from the map itself. So that was our design process. It was like, we need to justify the hell out of every button we add on this thing. Does it make yeah. the map easier to use or not? Right. And that's something that's hard with design. Yeah, no, that's... that's... A lot of art, especially abstract art, where... Editing is the real skill that you have. Mm-hmm. It's the same with your music, right? Like your with abstract music, you could just keep adding and adding and adding and adding forever. Yeah, you cut out there for a second. Oh. Uh, you said abstract art editing is the skill, and then something. Yeah, you've been cutting out a little bit, but I'm still like picking up what you're putting down. Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, 
don't know. I, I once like, I once was like talking to someone about like how, like, and this was, this was tied to a specific period in the kind of music I was making, but, um, I was once talking to someone and told them that the beginning of the composition process for me was when I started using the, the delete key, um, which came across, I think as like totally mystifying. Okay. Um, which meaning like, you know, like certain, and I guess uh, translating to design, like certain like, strata like or maybe not strata but like certain like modes of working are or modes of making work are like easily calculatable and doable and so like it's it's pretty trivial for me to like think of a musical process set it up and start it going um in the same way that like spinning a top is pretty trivial um but the the choice comes in like is like the choices come in when you like break that to a certain extent. Uh, meaning that like, okay, like how do I take this from being just like a Brian Eno app to like something that like people will want to hear and, and other, and on the flip side, like people will want to perform. Right. Um, so there's, yeah, there's something about that. It's just like the, the editing is uh, at some point, like, I don't know. In my mind, like the editing of, of certain like larger hierarchical ideas is in some ways more important to making a compelling piece of art than the process itself. Um, like, and yeah, I guess I'm, I'm betraying a little bit about how, like what my thoughts on classical music are, which is that like, to me, to a certain extent, what everything under the sun. Yeah, I guess like everything under the sun has been done to a certain extent. Right. And so the idea is to like figure out like what your angle is. If that makes sense. Right. Do you think that's distracting to some or like Do I think what? detrimental to some extent? Oh, sorry. Like, I've noticed a lot of how to not say this in a derogatory way, but like student art um, across like any medium, there's this like desire to be subversive at all costs. Oh. And it's yeah. like... Uh, I, yeah, fuck that, I guess, in general. Yeah, and I can see myself falling into that same trap because like I hear kind of echoes in that and what you're saying too even though i know that's not where you're at with your art yeah but some of that with like oh it's been done before so i need to do something radically different i feel it can be a dangerous line of thinking yeah totally i like it is it is dangerous it's also you know i i guess what it means for me is that like you know when i when i do listen to people uh even like especially like even composers in certain senses that I look up to or um, are better established, uh, like I can tell, I mean, like, and I think most educated listeners can tell, or like, if you're a designer, like you can tell when you look at a website, like what is, what is intentional and like, what is just sort of like 
uh, aping some bullshit. And I don't think anyone's immune to this. Like I have definitely heard pieces from people that I love and respect that are just, they didn't do that second part of the process where they go in and start fucking with it. Like they, they had a, they had a process, they let it run and that's the piece. And like, I don't think that that's like, like with music, especially like I, like I don't think that that's ever acceptable as as a, as an A to Z finished process. Like I always think there has to be some sort of like there has to be something because otherwise yeah. like otherwise I think that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Um because like like there's a font right now Gotham that is super popular and it's a beautiful font and it's being used for all sorts of stuff. Um but and I don't think that's a reason to not use it just because it's like trendy and people are using it. But you should be asking yourself, am I using this as a default or did I explore the possibilities and this is really the best for this application? Right. Which I think that's fair for music too. Like maybe I might be wrong, but like a simple like 4-4 rock and roll drum beat, if that's if that's what the song needs that's what the song needs but also you could fall into a trap of just defaulting to that for your for your drum sound on everything yeah totally and then but there are also like thankful like one band i've been listening to lately which i think is like a really beautiful uh counter argument to this or not even counter argument but just like uh can put this kind of thing in relief where like i truly believe that like rock and roll music um can be done in similar ways forever. And as long as you play it well live, like it's fucking valuable, but you have bands like pup, for example, that like Mm -hmm. they're doing the same kind of thing and bringing the same kind of energy. And there are songs that are just like, I don't even know what the fuck time signature this refrain is in because it's this like broken phrase of parsed together guitar licks that the drums are accommodating to that like works. Like it also just works. Like no one, like, no one listening to that unless they're actively counting gives a shit, but it, right. Yeah. Like, and so yeah, there's two sides of that coin where like, like I do feel like some of those songs could have totally been written in four four, but like, I mean, fuck like those refrains are so fucking good as they are. Even I think that's, I don't think either of us do this necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always really admire when people are on the more like pop side of art or music and they're still pushing boundaries yeah like i think that's what's so neat about like this is like the most trite example because everybody already loves them or their dad loves them or whatever but like the stuff john bonham was doing in led zeppelin it just sounds like rock and roll like it doesn't stick out as weird Mm -hmm. but he was doing very weird things so he was like pushing the boundaries within a context that was still like pop friendly right yeah or maybe there's even like better examples with even stuff as poppy as the beatles like sometimes when i listen to them like george harrison has a little guitar run Mm -hmm. on a transition and like there's nothing like abstract about that but it's not what i would play right like it's definitely not super intuitive (laughs) just like it's a weird little run with some jumps in it that don't quite sound right but they work yeah totally I I uh, I feel that a lot. There's, I mean, another Beatles example is there's this uh, this drum fill 
in uh, Strawberry Fields Forever. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, Ringo Starr was not the, the best drummer by any means, but he has this one drum fill that's just like, when you listen to it the first time, you're like, what the fuck was that? And and you realize he's just, it's nothing more than just like he plays a quintuplet. But, okay. but like it works and it fucking like, and it also like makes you like in, in that, in that song, like it makes you feel a little weird. Like it's not like sure so weird that it makes you freak out, but it is enough to just be like, what the hell? Like that didn't see to me, stuff like that is so much more enjoyable than someone that's like trying to push boundaries and break rules just for the sake of pushing boundaries and breaking rules. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think like making it work in a pop context or even like in an abstract context, but not like you're just trying to express yourself. You're not expressing your desire to break rules. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I often operate in this, in this realm between sort of like, I don't know, like noise rockers seem to think what I do is cool. And then like experimental dudes seem to think what I do is cool. But like, I'm often, I'm operating in a space where I do have like very set and crystal, like not crystalline, but like very like clear ideas of what I think works as a musical form. And I find that sometimes I get put on bills with people who are doing that, who are just like, let's break the rules. And in certain cases, like, almost intentionally just clear the fucking room because they're experimental. And if you don't get it, get the fuck out. Yeah. Like, uh, and, and who have no reverence, not that, all right, reverence is a problematic term. Fuck it. But like, I think, I think if you make music, you should have a good understanding and a working knowledge of like how time works psychologically. Sure. And so, and, and so that's what I mean by like reverence for the audience, which is that like, you should fucking know that like, if you're gonna if you're gonna write a 40 minute set like you have to make that 40 minutes like gratifying it cannot be for example like two 20 minute chunks that are unrelated or like you can't have a false ending 30 minutes in and then play a 20 another 10 minute fucking like cadence which or like or uh coda which is like what like what I have seen from like basically uh, ambient or experimental musicians who don't fucking practice or don't play a lot. Like, dude, this is one of the things that I think makes Sun such an amazing band because you have to have so much patience to enjoy their music, but there is payoff. Yeah. Like, there, you need to take the time to enjoy their music and really listen to it. Um, but you will be rewarded for putting that time in. And I guess that's true for a lot of jazz, especially free jazz. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Like you can tell when people don't, that's asking a lot from an audience member, right? To invest that effort into understanding or even getting that payoff. Exactly. So you better fucking deliver on that. Like you better, if I'm going to take the time to do that, you need to respect me. Right. As an audience member. Yeah, exactly. And and also, like, the, the idea of, like, I mean, I, I have realized, you know, a lot of people just, and, and mostly I realize because it's something I've been developing recently where it's like, at this point, and I guess 
you know, because of outside perspectives, I, I could be practicing more, but like, you know, right at the tail end of all this, like, um, of like my, uh, right at the tail end of me being able to like perform regularly, uh, before all this like quarantine stuff hit, like I, I mean, and I still, to a certain extent, feel like I have an exact sense of what 30 minutes feels like. Um, and, and that is like, that is a very useful tool. Um, right. Because uh, at least for the last year or so, I've gotten interested in trying to perform longer sets. So I've gotten interested in being like, okay, like let's take the material you have and like, figure out like how this works for 30 minutes, 45 minutes or an hour. Um, and also do that in a way that doesn't feel labored, um, which is, which is tricky, but the, you know, the first step to that is actually knowing what 30 minutes feels like. And also knowing like what the peaks and valleys are in your performance because you Rob, I have a theory about you. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I don't, th- I believe you that you have a feeling, innate feeling for what 30 minutes feels like. Uh-huh. I'm going to tell you something that I think that you might not have thought of. I think you developed that sense of 30 minutes from working at Jiffy Lube. not bad Doodles of light what a beautiful sight both of God's eyes were shining the night raising beans